We're going to continue in these days talking about one life, one God, one glory. We're going to begin each night with a family truth. A family truth. Here's our family truth for tonight. A family or a home that is patterned by God is a family that is blessed by God. A family or a home that is patterned by God is a family that is blessed by God. Again, when I say family, I I realize that that can look a lot different for a lot of different people. But the question that we want to answer in these days is what does a family patterned by God actually look like? If we're going to be God's family, what do we need to do to begin to head in that direction? Now, I want you guys to meet some of my friends. This is Ralph and Bernice. Now, not too long ago, Ralph and Bernice took a trip to Jerusalem. But unfortunately, while they were over there, Bernice passed away. It was hard on Ralph and And he's making arrangements for her, and he's talking to the funeral director there. And the funeral director said, now, Ralph, I want you to understand, we can can ship Bernice back home to be buried uh, in her hometown. It'll cost you about $5,000. Or you can have her buried here, and it'll cost you about $150. Well, Ralph thought about it for for quite a while, and and he says, you know, sir, I think it'd be best if I just have her shipped home. Well, it kind of took the funeral director by surprise. He said, "I, I I don't understand you can have her buried here in the Holy Land. Who wouldn't want to be buried in the Holy Land for $150, but it's going to cost you 5000 to send her home? And Ralph says, sir, I understand that. He said, but you need to know, several years ago, there's a man that died here. And he was buried here. And three days later, he arose from here. <laughs> and he said, I just can't take that chance. Now, obviously, that's not what we're talking about when we talk about God's family. We learned this morning that God created the family. And if he created the family, then I think he knows something about the family. It's his desire to be preeminent over the family. God has patterned the family to function in such a way that what we do is we represent him. Which means, like I said this morning, that ultimately your family is not about your happiness, but rather about His glory and about impacting our community for the sake of His kingdom. Well, there's good news. God gives us a very beautiful picture or a pattern of what His family should actually look like in Colossians chapter 3, if you want to turn in your Bibles there. He gives us this beautiful picture in verses 12 through about verse 21. But we want to focus on one particular verse in those verses. Look with me on the screen or in your Bible at Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. Paul says, And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father, through him. Now, let me just remind you a little pause here of just a second. I want to remind you all of the youth, if there's any youth in here, you start out in the youth room. So if you want to head there now, sorry, I should have let you know that. The youth will start in, poor thing, she's the only one. Don't look at her. That's, that's not cool. All right. 
All right, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I love that phrase there that Paul uses, in the name of the Lord Jesus. It means that we as individuals and we as a community are acting consistently with who Christ is and what Christ wants. This is a picture of doing everything in the power of Christ and doing everything in his name's sake. It's when we're so consumed with Christ that when others look at us, they see Christ. Look, look at the person sitting next to you. Who do you see? My wife. <laughs> it will not go well with you. When you look in the mirror, who do you see? You see, guys, we should be reflecting Christ to everyone that sees us. Now, again, some of you may be thinking, that doesn't describe me or my home or my family at all. Shane, we seem to be so far from reflecting Christ to everybody else. So if this is God's pattern, how do we get from where we are now to where God actually wants us to be? How do we become a family that is patterned by God and a home that's blessed by God? See, guys, unfortunately, when we we travel across America, and what we see all across America is that we have undervalued and underestimated God's perspective and God's heart on the family and on the home. We don't realize that God has called our homes to be sacred. God wants our homes to be sacred, places where we learn how to love Him and how to serve Him through a positive, godly example. What we see way too often today is that many Christians do not see their homes to be as sacred as they see the church to be. Our aim tonight is we want to we highlight that the home and the family are important to God. And that God has a pattern for the home and he has principles for blessing in the home. We need to challenge the modern trends that, that endanger the truly Christian family and the truly Christian home. We see it all over our politics today. It's a fresh battle that we're facing. So to help us understand the importance of the family, let's back all the way up to Genesis. You don't have to turn there in your Bible, but just think about Genesis. In the first few chapters of the Bible, we see that God began the human existence with a marriage and a family. Remember, Adam and Eve. The first community that God established was a family and a home. And God had relationship with man and woman in the context of the family before the setting of the church. You remember, when we look at the Israelites, we see that they didn't have a formal place of worship until the tabernacle of Moses. So previous to the tabernacle, the place of worship was where? In the home. You're exactly right. And it was directed, it was led by the head of the home, which was the husband and the father. Look, at, look with me at Deuteronomy chapter 6 uh, up on the screen. This was known as the Shema. And the rabbi called for the, the recitation of the Shema in the morning and in the evening. And it kind of became like a Jewish pledge of allegiance. 
if you would. Notice what it says. It says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Greg talked about that this morning. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. I love that word diligently here. It's characterized by a steadiness, by earnestness, by energetic, energetic effort. It means painstakingly. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise and you'll bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gate. So according to God's command, the home was to be a place of instruction, a place where community was actually lived out and where God was the center of attention. Does that describe your home today? But you see, guys, in our day, we have replaced the home with the church. Now, now hear me. The church and corporate worship are important things. But for many Christians and for many of our families, what has happened is spirituality is exercised in the church. All prayer is in the church. All teaching is in the church. And here's the horrible part. And it's not in the home. There seems to be this dichotomy of our lives. There's this distinct separation from what our church life looks like and our home life looks like. There's, there's been this abdication of responsibility for godly leadership, for family worship, and for spiritual discipleship. Before I began to understand these truths of family worship, I had no idea or no thoughts about leading my family in worship at home. See, I thought that, that was something that we just did at church. And it was my responsibility to bring them to church so they could worship. It was Pastor John's responsibility to disciple my children. Pastor David's responsibility to lead them in worship. Pastor Jim's responsibility to disciple my youth. That wasn't my job. So I thought. But you see, guys, God is calling us back to his pattern of the family. My desire is that God takes our families on this journey over the next week so that we will look more like what he has patterned in his word for us than we do right now. Remember, my prayer was God change us so that we don't look the same as we came. So let's start off with asking this question. If God has a pattern for our family then what can we do to reinitiate God's pattern for the home? I think the first thing we have to do is we have to choose to make our home his home. Choose to make your home his home. We see Joshua modeled this for us in the Old Testament. Look at the screen at Joshua 24, verses 14 and 15. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua made this commitment at a time in the history of Israel where idolatry was running rampant. Sound familiar? There was idolatry everywhere, and Joshua made a choice for his home. Joshua knew that everybody must worship something or someone because that's what we were created to do. And if the Jews didn't worship the one true God, then they would end up worshiping the false God of the wicked nation of Canaan. And his point was that they couldn't do both. Guys, listen to me. We cannot do both. 
We can't stay wrapped up in the idols of this world and serve the Lord at the same time. He'll either be Lord of all or he won't be Lord at all. Joshua's choice for his household was to serve the one God only. He understood the model of one life, one God, one glory. And Joshua was willing to stand up in direct contrast to the pattern that had developed in the families around him. Regardless of the choices of others, Joshua's wife and Joshua's children knew which way he was leading them. Men, does your family know which way you're leading them? We're going to talk about how to lead our families in the days to come. Guys, the the challenges of Joshua's day are no less than the challenges that we face today as believers. We face the same idolatrous challenges that he faced. And we have to be willing to stand up for our families and choose to seek after God. We have to make a decision that Christ is head, that Christ is preeminent in our home. Let me ask you, is, is your home God's home? Now, it's not okay to just say, well, of course it is. I'm, I'm a Christian, so my home is God home, God's home because it involves much more than that. There's so much secular pressure on us today that affects the way we do home as a Christian. It's getting easier and easier to allow the world and Satan to infiltrate our homes. And it seems like we just open the door for him. How do we open the door for him? Well, he comes in through the Internet. That's one way we open the door. He comes in through our TV, through the advertisements that we see. That's one way we open the door. He does it through the media, the things we listen to, the things we look at, the things we play. Have any of you just taken the time to look at some of the games that your children are playing? We open the door wide open and we can't figure out where this breeze is coming from. How about the music you listen to, the books that you read? Those things are the way Satan comes in. Let me ask you, what is your family watching? For, for my family, we made a decision many years ago that we would watch nothing but PG movies. And some of those now, we have to not watch. And so what we do is we filter everything that we watch. We check it out before we plug it in. Because we want to make sure that we're not warping the minds of our children. That we're not opening the door for Satan to come in. Remember, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. What's your family listening to? My family made a decision some years ago that we were just going to listen to Christian music. Because we wanted our music to bring praise and honor to the Lord. And guys, I'll tell you what, even though that's our standard, the secular music still seeps its way in. You hear it everywhere. See, here's what what happens. When we allow Satan to infiltrate our homes, then we begin to look like him. And there seems to be a difference in what we look like on Sunday and what we look like the rest of the week. We begin to see this disconnect from the person everyone else sees on Sunday and, and then what our children see or our grandchildren see behind closed doors of our home. We are all surrounded with opportunities to give greater worth 
or greater worship to the things of the world than we actually give to God. Second thing we want to do is we want to make sure that we welcome His presence to our home. Welcome His presence to our home. Remember the story of David bringing the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem? You remember they were bringing the Ark of the, uh, they were transporting the Ark of the Covenant and Uzzah reached up and as they were stumbling and touched it and God killed him instantly. Remember that story? And so now they're bringing the Ark of the Covenant back to the city of David. And it says in 2 Samuel chapter 6, And David was afraid of the Lord that day because of what happened to Uzzah. And he said, How can the Ark of the Lord come to me? So David was not willing to take the Ark of the Lord into the city of David, but David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. And the Ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. Now get this picture with me. For three months, the most awesome symbol of the presence of God was seated in the living room of this man's house. This box was the most sacred article in all of Israel's history. The most powerful object on the face of the earth. Why was it so, why was it so powerful? Because it represented the presence of God. This four foot by two and a half foot by two and a half foot box was the focal point of this home. And I'm certain that this box changed the way they did family. You see, guys, when God is present in our homes, it'll change the way we live. Every day for three months, they were aware that God was lodging with them. This was a home that welcomed the presence of God. And when God's presence is welcomed and encouraged our encouraged in our home, then our home is truly a home of blessing. You know, guys, most of us in our homes, we have a a box that's the focal point of our home. We turn our furniture toward it, and too often we turn our attention upon it. This box has the power to shape our homes. See, we don't communicate, we just veg. It has the power to form our children. They get their heroes from this box. It has the the power to disturb our relationships. Ladies, you ever tried to have a conversation with a man in front of this box? It has the power to control our desires. It feeds our lust. Listen to me. If Satan can get us to laugh at it, he can get us to accept it. We're wondering why gay marriages is all over America. It's because we laugh at TV shows that have gay marriages in them. If he can get you to laugh at it, he can get you to accept it. Now listen to me. This isn't an anti-TV message. I love my TV, but too many times this box will lead us far away from God rather than cause us to experience his presence and his blessings in our home. Some time ago, our family did a 30-day fast from the TV And I'll never forget, I was amazed at how much extra time I had to get things done. It was crazy. And so I went to my wife one day and I said, honey, I don't see how in the world we got everything done when we were watching TV. And this was her response to me. Sometimes she's like the Holy Spirit. She said, we did it. You see, I was so focused on that little box that it consumed much of my time. Remember the box at Obed-Edom's house? 
That box brought blessings to their home. It reminded them daily of the presence of God. It reminded Israel of his goodness. It reminded them of his faithfulness, of his promises, of his covenant, of his power, and of his glory. Let me ask you, what in your home reminds you of the presence of God? What are some things that should be present in your home to remind your family, your children, your grandchildren of the presence of God? I think we can use the articles that were inside the Ark of the Covenant to give us a good picture of what should be present. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 4 tells us that there were three um, items inside the Ark of the Covenant. The first was two stone tablets of the law. This was the, the tablets that God gave Moses. They put them there in a symbol as a symbolic picture of God's word, God's law, God's promises to them. The second thing we see inside the Ark of the Covenant was a jar of manna from Israel's wilderness wanderings. This was a reminder of God's provision. They were, they were to never forget that God provides for them. We also see that there was Aaron's budding staff. Now you remember from Numbers chapter 17, God was getting ready to choose a spiritual leader um, for the nation. And he, he takes all the leaders of the different tribes and he says, put your staff in a pile. And the one that begins to bud blossoms of almonds, that will be the leader chosen by me. And you remember Aaron's staff began to bud Blossom. So this was a picture of God's ordained leadership in the home. Each of these guys should be present in our home. God's word must be searched and followed in our homes. When's the last time you sat down as a family and you studied God's word? Grandparents, when's the last time you sat down with your grandchildren and you opened up the word of God? I remember hours upon hours sitting with my grandmother and her just pouring through scripture with me. I remember sitting at the piano with her singing the great hymns of old. We've got to make sure that we're acknowledging God's provision in our homes by releasing our resources back to God. When's the last time you sat down as a family and you began to pray, God, what would you have us to do with our resources as a family? And there. There's got to be God-ordained leadership in our home. Man, this is your responsibility to stand up in the leadership position. When these things are present in our home, then we, just like Obed-Edom, will begin to understand God's presence in our home. The third thing is we need to build an ark of salvation in our homes. Remember the story of Noah? Hebrews chapter 11 Verse 7 recaps it for us a little bit. It says, By faith, Noah, when warned about the things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. Now, Noah did all that he could do to save his family from the impending judgment that was become on the earth. He, you remember that what Noah did. He built an ark under God's command and God's direction. And I'm sure that Noah wanted to drag his family into the ark, but he couldn't do that. But he did provide a way of escape. For his family. Guys, the salvation of our homes has to be of paramount importance to us as a family. Like Noah, we cannot save our families. But we can build in our homes what God has given us the design for. And that's a home that always points our families to Jesus. 
Again, this is the gospel-centered family. This means that your conversations are gospel-centered. This means that your disciplining of your children is gospel-centered. This means that the decisions that you make as a family are gospel-centered. Everything that you do is filtered through the gospel of Christ. Are we going to be a part of the Little League? Well, let's filter it through the gospel. Are we going to put our children in this school? Well, let's filter that through the gospel. What would it look like if this was filtered through the gospel? What is our purpose? Well, our purpose for Little League is just to keep our, our children active. They want to they play and they want to have fun. But what does it have to do with the gospel? One of the things we did in our home is I just printed out, I'm simple-minded, I just printed out the Roman road on sheets of paper. And I just pasted them on the wall in our living room. So that every day when our children walked through the living room, they saw the Roman road. They saw the salvation message. They read the salvation message so that when people came to our house, I guarantee you they asked, why you have that taped up on your wall? Because that's the gospel. That's the gospel. We must be leading our families with this model, one life, one God, one glory. Now that we kind of be, began to reinitiate God's pattern for the home, what do we need to do to initiate God's blessing in our home. How do we initiate His blessings in our home? I think the first thing we got to make sure we're doing is that we're exalting God in our home and in our community. We're exalting God in our home and in our community. One way we do this is with our words. Uh, this is just praying back the Psalms to God. I love Psalm 99 verse 1. It says, The Lord is the King. Let the nations tremble. Again, I saw this lived out by my grandmother. My grandmother was a woman of praise. We also do this with our posture. With our posture. Psalm 99.5 says, Exalt the Lord our God. Worship at His footstool. Holy is He. This idea of bowing low at the foot of Jesus. One of the ways you can do this is developing a family altar in your home. Now remember, an altar was a, was a symbol of, of where an individual or a group became in very personal encounter with God. That was a personal contact with God. We, um, we at times have built, taken our ottoman in our living room and just turned that into our family altar. And we as a family would just kneel down around that, that, that ottoman and cry out to God as a family. When's the last time your family was on its face before God crying out? We want to make sure that we exemplify Christ's likeness in our home, in our community. We can do this by treating others as greater than ourselves. Philippians 2 teaches us all about that. How about encourage faithfulness in your home and in your community? Make sure you're faithful with your promises. Dads, let me tell you, this is an area that's tough. Dads, we've got to make sure that we're being faithful with our promises. We've got to make sure that we're being faithful with our promises. How about faithful with your responsibilities? We have a motto in our home, a job worth doing is a job worth doing well. Or a job worth doing is a job worth completing. How about educate about God's ways in your home and in your community? One of the great ways to do this is to have a family devotion in your home. There's a lot of different ways to do a family devotion. Um, right now, we're, we, you know, we homeschool our children, and so we're going through 
some of um, children desiring God material to teach our children about the gospel of Christ. You can, um, at Christmas, we use adornments. We, my wife made these ornaments with an attribute of God written on them, and they go to this chest, and they pull out one of those ornaments, and we read the attribute of God, and then we read the scripture, and we talk about how we as individuals can emulate God's character. And then we hang it on the tree, and we pray for ourselves as a family. How about establish some godly values in your home and in your community? We're going to be talking about some of our personal family values in these days. But how about just seeking God? Seek ye first the kingdom of God. How about think of others? How about being thankful? How about loving others? How about praying with others? Spending time with others. Core family values. Remember, a family that is patterned by God is a family that is blessed by God as we continue thinking of one life, one God, one glory. I'll give you some homework as we wrap up. I would challenge you tonight as you go home to sit down as a family and discuss how your home would have to change in order for God to become a family, in order for your family to become a family patterned by God. This morning we we closed our eyes, and we asked ourselves, what would change? How many of you would be willing to go home and ask your teenage children, what would have to change in our home? Or your small children, what would have to change? Grandparents, I encourage you, ask your grandchildren, what would have to change in your life or in Mima and Peepaw's life in order for us to be a family? modern, modeled after God's family.